Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans. I'm Courtney. And I'm Ashley. And I'm sorry if there's weird noises in the background. My, my unicorn horn's hitting the top of the tent. Which is a sentence I never thought I would hear in real life and have it be accurate and relevant to the actual real life situation at hand. Um, I'm going to go ahead and describe this for you at home because... <laughs> It is a thing of beauty. Um, oh, it is. It's a headband that she's wearing, which looks really like it could be a hat, except there, it's not because it's just a really wide headband that is light pink, has cat ears, and just a unicorn horn in the middle with like a fuzzy, I don't even, is it glitter? I can't tell. No, it's like feathers. It's like feathers around the unicorn horn because not only is she unicorn, she's a catacorn. <laughs> Which is apparently a thing. I I was unaware of that up until about yesterday. Yeah, I got it at Ulta. <laughs> it was a great, great purchase. I have a very large head. I cannot buy headbands. So when I bought this, it's even better because I'm literally, I made a tent for myself. So and it's like it's, brushing the top of the, the tent. Yeah, I, I squeezed, I pulled, I squeezed down a little bit. So it's not as a little teaser on what we're discussing today. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda I get my way on the title. We don't need a teaser because his name's going to be in it. I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Ashley's offering to pay me for it, so. It's not going to be a lot, but. Um, Yeah, so a little teaser. If you saw Lin-Manuel Miranda and Weird Al Yankovic on uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, we're talking about one of the characters from Hamilton. And if you didn't see them on it, what are you under a rock? Like, go watch it. Yeah, we'll it. be sharing it's really that. Funny. Oh, it's hilarious. But also, when you watch it, tweet at us who you think is Lynn Manuel Miranda and who is Weird Al Yankovic. Because we know that we're each sort of one of them, but we can't figure out who's who. Yeah. I would like to be Lynn Manuel Miranda, but I feel like I, I'm that excited. I mean, you have his level of excitement, but like, just the general persona of Weird Al. <laughs> I mean that as a compliment because that man is fantastic. And I love to polka, so. Also, yes, it's in your blood. It is. When you polka family parties, it kind of rolls with it. Okay, so Ashley, you want to you wanna tell them who I'm talking about because I know you're waiting for it? Talking about Aaron Burr, sir. I've been listening to Hamilton like for the last hour. I'm so excited. She was singing at me. I was. You're welcome. And also, I'm sorry. But that's a good t-shirt idea. You're welcome. But also, and I'm, also sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what the gist of what I texted Corinne today when I realized, oh, wait, she should probably be on this one. But she was off being a good mother. So, yeah, no. Okay, so Aaron Burr was a junior. So it's Aaron Burr Jr. who was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1756. <laughs> I think just say Newark or New York, New Jersey. Newark. Okay. No, it like did that weird thing that no, 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 maybe there's a ghost. And I was like, New York, New Jersey? I did not know that was the thing. Okay. There Newark, New Jersey. All right. Yes. Um, where he was the second child of Aaron Burr Sr., who was a Presbyterian. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna really try not to like talk over you today, <laughs> but I make no guarantees. Bitch, I mean I'm going to make you edit this if this goes really wrong. <laughs> so, sucks for you. His father was also the president of the College of New Jersey, 
uh, it'll become Princeton University. So pretty classy. Fancy. Okay, so his mother, Esther Barini Edwards, um, who came from quite powerful religious stock. Uh, her father was Jonathan Edwards, a noted Calvinist theologian. That's the guy who did the sinners in the hands of an angry god. I'm pretty sure. Hold on. You have to understand, no. Ashley's about to Pause. shit her pants with excitement. Pause. Hold on. I know I've heard of this guy before. <sighs> yes. And elevator, and elevator music. By British colonial Christian theologian Jonathan Edwards in Northampton, Massachusetts. I was right. That was the same dude. Okay. Nerd moment over. Sorry. You good? No, but it's fine. So, <laughs> um, so he has, Burr at this time already has an older sister, Sally. And when his father dies, um, he, in 1757, and his mother follows the next year. So, you know, just get him out of the picture quick. So he's an orphan. Okay. Um, so he, he now has another sister and he, um, they move in with his maternal grandparents, but they end up dying pretty quickly too. <laughs> so double orphans. I'm sensing a pattern here. <laughs> it's not a good one. No. Okay. Might raise so, a few eyebrows today. That's all I'm saying. So Aaron and Sally were placed with William Sh- the William Shippen family in Philadelphia. So this might explain some anger issues. Um, and in 1759, their legal guardianship was assumed by their 21-year-old maternal uncle, Timothy Edwards. Because, you know, at 21, you have your shit together. Totally have your shit together. So he married their cousin, Edward, Mary, or their uncle, Edward, marries the next year to get ready for this name, Rhoda Ogden, and they move to... Elizabeth, New Jersey. I'm just thinking of um, that State Farm commercial where she's like, well, she sounds hideous. <laughs> just, Rhoda Ogden is not a name that you can carry off well, regardless of how you look, but like it just... You need to be an... Oh, it's, like, it's like an older, dignified name, you know? Once you hit your 40s or 50s, you can be... You I can mean, kind of pull it off. Even then, if that's a relative term, man... <laughs> I hope she had a nickname of some sort, because Roe hugged in. Oh, it just sounds painful. So, at age 13, Burr um, is admitted to the College of New Jersey, and he was rejected once at 11. So, remember, Aaron Burr even got rejected from college at age 11. Okay, but, like, at age 11, I was just trying to keep all of my papers in my Trapper Keeper at the same time. Like... <laughs> He was getting rejected from Princeton. I was trying to keep my stuff in a stack of Lisa Frank. So there's a little bit of a difference in what our issues were at that age. So that really doesn't make me feel that much better. I would have been rejected at Princeton now, let alone at 11. Like, Jesus. Yeah, but I mean, everyone went to school earlier. Like, you were pretty much out in the world by 18, so... I know, but still. And by out in the world, I mean you had a job and you were working and like on four kids. Yeah. Yeah, you probably been <laughs> married with one kid. Let's go with one kid. Right. If you were a, if you were a woman, you'd probably have four kids by then. But that's besides the point. Well, yeah, but that's because you got married at sixteen, and that's just how math works, <laughs> right? See, that's why I wouldn't get into Princeton because I think that's how math works. Remember the T-shirt can- cannon comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I forget. That's all I have to say about that. He was also a part of the American Wake Society, so conservatives. 
and oh, get ready for it. The Cleosophic Society, which were the only two clubs at, at the university. So. so really he was probably in it just to be involved. So it looked good. He's like, to make look, I'm in both of our clubs. Look at me on the shit. Yeah, pretty much. So he gets his Bachelor of Arts in 1772 when he was 16. You know, living his best life. Fuck off, man. (laughs) I still don't have that degree. And I'm going to be 25 this year. So I might be having a quarter life crisis. It's fine. It's fine. No big deal. I'm wearing a catacorn headband. (laughs) (laughs) So we're both doing great. We're in a good place. In a tent in my basement. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Millennials. So he stayed for an extra year because he's a nerd to study theology. (laughs) However, at 19, he decided, I don't want to go into the church. Um, And he moves to Connecticut to study law because that's what everyone does when they don't know what they want to do with their life. They become a lawyer. I relate to that because I got my paralegal degree because I didn't want to go into the church either. If you remember there for a hot second, my sister was not the only one seriously considering becoming a religious sister. So... You could have been sister, sister. I mean, I was in her phone. She was in my phone as that for a while. Pretty sure I was in her phone as that for a while. But yeah, now she's married. So look at how that went. Yep. Will you stop trying to hit the tent with that thing? (laughs) It's really fun. I like (laughs) to poke people with it. It's a good time. You just like set up really straight like... It's really fun to hit people with because it doesn't, it's like, it bends. So it doesn't hurt. I hope so. Jesus. What it's if a- you just have like a manticore horn on the top of your head? This is like the- hard bone. This apology one it, in the in the title description is just like, we know we keep talking about the catacorn. We know. Okay. So getting back on topic, Ashley. So at this time, because remember, it is... 1775 what's going on it's 1775 in new england ashley nothing as far as the king is concerned fine no unrest no taxes being raised no one being upset about tea nope not having a continental congress or anything it's fine nope it's all good so aesthetic i'm I'm done so So, Burr gets news of the clashes at Lexington and Concord, and he's like, okay, hold my books, I'm gonna join the army. I really enjoy the idea of him saying, hold my books, the way someone who's about to get in a fight might say, hold my earrings. (laughs) He's just, hold my books, I'll be back. Also, how did I forget that Lexington and Concord was 1775? They're gonna kick me out of New England. (laughs) We're just gonna gloss over that, but like, damn, that is half an hour away. Okay, now as we're waiting for the the authorities to kick Ashley out of New England, <laughs> it's gonna so, be a while. Okay, so at the beginning of the war, Burr is under their, uh, Benedict Arnold's ex. Uh, let me reset. Uh, at the beginning of the war, Burr is taking part in Colonel Benedict Arnold's expedition to Quebec. I feel like he gets such a bad rap. I always well, just need, like... You should do do that as a topic, Ashley. I feel like I just need to defend him every time someone's like, he was such a dick. Like, well, he was kind of really screwed over, too. And so, like, was he a dick? Yeah. Did he have a reason for it? Also, yeah. 
Okay, so Burr manages to impress Arnold with, quote, great spirit and resolution during their very, very long march, because Quebec is not near, I believe they were in New York, so it's not near. No, it's a little bit of a trek. It's a hike. Yeah, it's a paseo. We're going to keep going. Um, How many words do we know for a walk? It's a lot. It was an inside joke to myself, so. Hilarious. We're all dying inside. Just of laughter and joy. Benedict sent Burr up the St. Lawrence River to contact Sir Rid- uh, not a Sir, not a Sir. Contact General Richard Montgomery, who had taken over Montreal for the Americans and escort him to Quebec. 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 Um, Montgomery liked what he saw and promoted him and made him an aide de camp. Aw, yeah. Moving up. And furthermore, Burr makes himself a superstar during the Battle of Quebec, where he, the rumor is he attempted to recover Montgomery's corpse after he had been shot. So, then in the spring of 1776, Burr's stepbrother, Mathis Ogden, helped him secure a place on George Washington's staff in Manhattan. So, making bank, moving up the train. Did the Ogdens hate their children? Because they gave them awful names. Well, no, this is his... This is his stepbrother. I know, but like, Rhoda, Mathis, those are not names you give children you love. They're not. They're just not. I don't know, maybe they're family names. Does not make it better. So, with Burr on Washington's staff, this is a highly, highly coveted position to be with the general. Um, Mainly you can get, don't give me judgy eyes. I wasn't judgy face, that was I'm singing in my head face because you won't let me sing out loud because we can't afford to pay Lin-Manuel Miranda the rights for it. He probably would let us use it. He's very nice. If we asked nicely on Twitter, I bet he probably would, but still. We'll tweet at him. Um, <laughs> okay, so Burr, however, was like, I want to be on the battlefield, so he quits after two weeks. So everyone just wants to fight and get honor and glory and look really cool as people are shooting and stabbing at them. In the same motion, because bayonets. Or you could have it, like, two arms, you know, gun and sword, and just, like, having all the fun. So he's getting stabbed and shot at, um, but he's missing out on that honorable position in that in, in the insular world of a commander's staff, according to the historian Nancy Eisenberg, not related to Jesse, probably. Um, however, since Burr left uh, Washington's camp, he go- now is under General Israel Putnam, and we see Burr continuing to enable acts of heroism for himself. He saved an entire brigade from capture when the British land uh, on Manhattan in a retreat from lower Manhattan to Harlem. Ashley's just singing in her head. Like, it's not even hiding anymore. I don't think she's listening to me. I think she's just listening to the musical. To anyone else in New York Harbor. Anyway. Um, however, in, uh, Washington deviates from common practice and he does not commend Burr's action in in the next day's uh, general orders. Basically, like this is these are all these awesome people and a list and the good things they did. Which is and also fuck Burr because he quit on me. Is basically what that was, right? Seems like it. Yeah, and it's the quickest way to get promotion. So since it wasn't there, he's right. He's hard. like, basically, you're not gonna get accommodation from me for something that could help you move up when you couldn't stay on in my camp which i mean like that's fair but at the same time kind of a dick move uh so this pisses off burr because he's now a national hero but has no accommodations like you said and it 
it kind of starts this estrangement between Burr and Washington. Which is really interesting. Like, it always struck me that he was jealous of Hamilton's relationship with Washington because it was everything he had hoped for, but, like, never got. But he never seemed to understand that he was the only reason that didn't happen. Yeah, he basically if he had stayed on. If he had stayed on, even though he wasn't super high up in Washington's camp, he could have open the door to have a relationship with him anyway instead of just being like never mind it's been two weeks and you're not paying enough attention to me so i'm out he's like that needy kid in school yeah yep Um, pretty much however their relationship wasn't super strained at this point because he still defended washington's decision to evacuate new york as a necessary consequence which i mean it was if you look at anything written about it it was like it was really the only choice was for them to evacuate it was either slaughter or evacuation i know which one i would pick it's not the slaughter. Oh. I know. For a minute there, you weren't sure. But me. Let me calm your fears. Oh, I'm just thinking, because uh, I was on Blood on the Rocks. This I think it's for this week, maybe next week. Um, yeah, we were debating, we, like, would you rather be shot or die of blunt force trauma? <laughs> um, yeah, so in July 1777, there's a lot of sevens on that line. Oh, right in a row. It's very 70. You would thunk it. Um, <laughs> 70. <laughs> so Burr is promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. Cur- <laughs> you want to have another go at that? I had a stroke or something there. You smell toast? I can't smell anything. And if I'd smell anything down here, it'd be catch it. So. <laughs> that was an Archer reference, but okay. No, I know also, what you're saying. Also from like three separate episodes of this. It's always me. You always ask me if I'm smelling toast, and I'm never smelling. you are the only one who verbally strokes out mid-word. I taught people. Just think about that. Just think about me teaching children. <laughs> Not actual children, because fuck them. But most, most, I mean, they kind of acted like children sometimes. So Yeah, okay. So Burr is promoted to lieutenant colonel, and he gets ver- basically leadership of Malcolm's additional continental regiment so he basically gets his own little regiment he, he's got, got his chest all puffed up and like <laughs> did he have to do the napoleon and like stick a hand in there just to keep him from puffing up his chest too much they just <laughs> I thought they just i thought they just hit snacks okay so Burr's regiment was devastated by the british artillery in june 1778 at the battle of mama in new jersey and um, he also suffered from heat stroke because it was really fucking hot because it's June in New Jersey. Uh, So after a while, he's forced to resign from the army in March 1779 due to continued bad health, and he goes, I'm going to go back and study law. He's still pretty active in the war effort at this time. Um, You know, Washington has him perform intelligent missions for the generals, and he also, in July 5th, 1779, he gets a group of Yale students um, along with Captain James Hillhouse and the 2nd Connecticut Governor's Foot Guard to fight a skirmish with the British at the West River. And basically, this pre- prevented them from entering New Haven for a long enough time to make, an, uh, make a difference. And during this time, he's still working at getting his law degree because he finishes his study and is admitted to the bar at Albany in 1782. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. So he's a war hero and a lawyer. My star. So uh, 
he marries in 1782 as well and begins practicing law in New York City the next year after the British have evacuated. So let's get into his wife. <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> I think he would rather we didn't, but you know. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> Magic school bus this shit. There's an Thank image you. for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love so, right. Theodosia Bartow Prevost uh, was a widow with five children, ten years older than Burr, and lived. Um, Wasn't she and, married to a British soldier? Yes. Yeah. Her first husband, Ashley, get ready to hate me, had been Jacques Marcos Prevost, a British ar- uh, army officer of Swiss origin who had lived in New- with her in New Jersey. She's giving me hate eyes right now because she's hating my pronunciation of that. So I guarantee that's not his name. Jackie's Mark Marcus. I'll pronounce it really American, ready? Just just text it to me and I'll let you know. It's probably Jacques Marcot, but I'm not I'm gonna wait and see how I'm gonna pronounce it really American. Are you ready for this? I don't know if my heart can take it, but yeah. <laughs> Jacquees Marcus Prevos <laughs> Jacques Marcus Prevost? Maybe it's just a thought. It's not Jacquis. Okay. I will tell you that for sure. Jacquis! Whiskey Raven, get a little carried away over there. It's Beer Raven tonight. Thank you very much. My dad drank half a bottle and I'm drinking. Tequila Raven is sitting in judgment of you right now. Think about that. Let's talk about some life choices. What Tequila Raven is judging you. Let's not lie. You are not drinking Raven because. I mean, realistically, I'm decaf coffee Raven. But my spirit animal will forever be. No, I was drinking decaf just now. But my spirit animal is and always will be tequila raven. So, I mean, her children are pretty reputable. Uh, One of her sons, John Bartow Prevost, became a noted judge in Louisiana. Uh, And, you know, her husband, Jacquees, if Ashley wasn't so far away from me, I'm pretty sure if we were together, she'd start hitting me. Um, Not Jacquees. Not Jacquees. Jacquees. No, no. Jacquees um, no. died in the West Indies during the Revolutionary War, which is not shocking because the West Indies for Europeans is like a giant death pit. A really pretty death pit, but a giant death pit. The scenery makes up for you dying there. Oh, I have another one where basically they describe Jamaica as death to Europeans, and I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so the Burrs had a daughter, Theodosia. You can sing it, Ashley. Nope. I really can't. Born in 1783, uh, and she was their only surviving child to adulthood. Because, you know, they just died. Uh, Her mother, Theodosia, would die in 1794, so the year after, from stomach cancer. So Burr took took it upon himself to dote upon his daughter's education with classics, language, horsemanship, music, and basically, which isn't really common for most women, at that time, uh, in the Americas, a little more, but you know what she probably learned in those language classes? How to pronounce Jacques. Jacques. It's not Jacques. Someone please edit together all of my horrible French pronunciations and just send it to Ashley. Just send please it don't. as a gift. Please don't. I might die. Just have a heart attack. Okay, so we're gonna just kind of quickly go couple bullet points of his daughter's life because she was with him for most of his um in 1801 she gets married to joseph elston of south carolina 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 huh um so they she did have a son but he died of a fever at 10 and also if this is going long cut out the theodosia part um but she is really the center of a mystery because uh the winter of 1812 to 1813 she was lost 
uh, with the schooner, the Patriot, off the coast of the Carolinas, and they don't know, like, if she survived or if she was murdered by pirates or shipwrecked. It's history's mysteries. Is she with the colonists from Roanoke? She's hanging out with uh, Amelia Earhart. They found her body, I think. So Burr, however, had two teenage sons from his wife's first marriage, Augustine James Frederick Provost. They called him Frederick, which is probably a good choice. And John Bartow Provost, who later became a member of Congress and a federal judge. So look at them working their shit. Um, he... Uh, Gave, provided an education and gave them both clerkships, clerkships, ships, clerkships in his law office and traveled with that. They traveled with him when he did uh, legal business. So we also have Burr getting elected to the New York State Assembly from 1784 to 85 while still continuing military service as a lieutenant colonel. And his really big move, uh, the politics, uh, came in 1789 when Governor George Clinton appointed him to be the New York State Attorney General. So he's the highest legal mind in New York, basically, which is for someone who wants to move up in politics is a great step. In 1791, he gets elected to the leg- uh, elected by the legislature legislature as a U.S. Senator from New York and defeating the incumbent General Philip Schuyler. Ashley, where do you know the name Philip Schuyler from? Um, Philip Schuyler's daughters, probably. You know, Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy, the Schuyler sisters. So this kind of starts putting a little contradiction, a little tension with one Alexander Hamilton, who one of his friends just defeated his father-in-law. And Burr would serve in the Senate until 1796, so that's six years. And really the reason why he kind of gets out of the Senate is he decided to run for president in the 1796 election. He came in fourth, which isn't that bad because at that point, as American history buffs know, first and second place become president and vice president. There were no real tickets. And uh, so, I mean, if you can get second place, you're doing good. So he came behind Adams, Jefferson, and Thomas Pickney. I've heard that name before, too. Where do I know that from? Uh, Pickney, you know Pickney because the later on they were known as a spy ring. Yes. Okay. Yep. That's it. Sorry. Um, and basically, the Electoral College got to cast two, but two votes and uh, this often created contentious because you know you just vote you don't say this is my one vote this is my two votes so like one doesn't get more weight than the other and often put opponents together in office which seems like fun and we see this with uh john adams first term as vice president he Mm -hmm. hates it he doesn't get to do anything it's like it was it i mean now there's more role involved in it but for a long time it was basically you're the backup dude Right. Like they actually went and sat in on Senate meetings where they were president of pro tem, president pro tem. Yeah. Or just president of the Senate. I don't remember. But like they would actually go and actually go to Senate because they didn't have anything else to do. They're the tie breaking vote. Yep. Okay. So the reason why Burr thought he would win, he convinced uh, to get Jefferson supporters to vote for him as well. That way they could get the New York delegation for Jefferson. But uh, a lot of the Democratic Republicans only voted for Jefferson and no one else or Jefferson and another candidate from Burr. And Burr. So he felt a little burned. Well, yeah. They said one thing and did another. It's not politics. It's not nice. Okay. So in the election of 1800, Jefferson and Burr again were candidates. And Jefferson ran with Burr in exchange for like New York votes for Jefferson mm. and to help him. So sorry, this got weird. Wait. No, you're fine. I think, think something copied. Um, so while 
Burr had that to look forward in the election of 1800. Uh, Adams was president and Burr um, got already, had already been turned down by Washington to continue as a brigadier general's commission during the quasi-war with France earlier on. And you hear Washington discussing Burr saying, quote, by all that I had known, and heard, Colonel Burr is brave and able, an able officer, but the question is whether or not he's equal, he has, e- has not equal talents at intrigue. So basically, you already see these, like, questions about Burr's loyalties coming up, like, he seems to be very much pro- for himself. Well, and the fact that he served under Benedict Arnold probably didn't help with that either. No. Um, and the fact that he had already lost to John Adams, who really didn't like Hamilton at the time, it seems like. Yeah. Adams starts questioning Washington views of Hamilton. So he like, is he going to trust Burr? And so you see our early statesmanship has like all these questions of whether or not so-and-so is loyal or they've just helped out someone or not. Right. So because Burr had time to kill between presidential elections, he runs for U.S. Senate and is elected to the uh, uh, New York State Assembly, serving for a couple of years. And at this time, we have political parties developing mainly around Adams and Jefferson, Federalist, Anti-Federalist, respectively. And Burr really kind of loosely aligns with the Democratic Republicans, which is the Mm Anti-Federalists. But he works, he kind of is in that middle. He's a moderate. He works with moderate Federalists and he makes this this ability to work with both sides make him a key figure in New York politics. And he actually is more powerful than his growing foe Hamilton at the time because he can do this. But this is largely because he works with um, the power of the Tammany Society. Is in Tammany Hall? Yes. Mm-hmm. No corruption there. Everything looks pretty good there. Oh, yes. Move right along. <laughs> nothing to see here. No vote. Right. No, nothing. Nothing. Ignore the man <laughs> behind the curtain. We definitely didn't make a, uh, the Irish keep voting after what? they voted before. What? We didn't pay them in beer. Who does that? So, ready for this shocker? Burr converted it from a social club into a political machine. What? To help Jefferson like reach him. the presidency. I know. <laughs> so, in... 1799, Burr helps found the Bank of the Manhattan Company, um, which would eventually, through many mergers, become J.P. Morgan Chase. Yep. Bank of the Manhattan Company. That's a mouthful. What goes, it's Bank of Manhattan Company, then it's absorbed into Chase Manhattan Bank, which becomes J.P. Morgan Morgan Chase. Chase. Yeah. So as he starts up this bank, he ends up getting into a duel in September of 1799 with uh, John Baker Church. Barker Church, whose wife Angelica is the sister-in-law to Hamilton. Um, Oh, wait. Hold on. Angelica Angelica? Angelica Angelica. Okay. So, Burr gets in a duel with her husband? Yes. Church uh, alleged that Burr had taken a bribe from the Holland Company in exchange for using his political influence on its behalf. So, basically, it's like, this company wants your influence, so they're giving you a bribe. So... Neither of them were actually shot. They fired at each other and missed. Church acknowledged that he was wrong to have accused Burr without proof. So basically, he's like, I think you did the shady thing. But I should have had proof before I came at you with it. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Burr's like, okay, fair enough. Uh, right. Ends the dispute. That's the thing. Like, if duels didn't end with, like, anyone getting hurt, they normally just agreed, like, okay, we tried. We fought it out. We're good. Right. Agree to disagree keep your mouth shut about it going forward yeah um however this kind of built into hamilton and burr's disagreements about the founding of the manhattan bank because 
Burr went up to Hamilton and other Federalists for support, saying, hey, I'm establishing a badly need, needed water company for Manhattan. And he got the support, and then he changed the charter to banking. After it was approved, he dropped any pretense that it was a water company. Are those not the same thing? Yeah, water company, bank. Meh, neither's important. It's fine. Um, so naturally, the people he got support from were like, fuck you. Like, what Go did you just yourself. tell me? So that's <laughs> a direct them, quote. He sold them volcano insurance. It's fine. <laughs> Basically, Hamilton and the other Federalists were like, Go fuck yourself. And on top of that, um, there was a delay in constructing a safe water system for this for Manhattan. And uh, they had a malaria outbreak. So if they had clean water, it definitely would have saved more people. Right. Yeah. So that definitely helped that feud. Pretty much he just picked the way wrong front for his bank business. Yeah. If he had said anything other than water, he probably would have been fine. Electric company? Yeah. What's electricity? You'll find out. <laughs> so, as the next election's coming up, guess who's head-to-head campaigning for their parties? Jefferson and Burr? And Burr like is- four other people? Well, you don't campaign for yourself at this time, so. Wait, what? Oh, campaigning's not a thing. You don't campaign for yourself. Other people campaign for you. You might show up and give some speeches, but you don't actually go out campaigning door to door. No. Oh, so, okay. so who do you think is opposite Burr campaigning? Hamilton. You know probably? the same. Yeah. 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 That took way too long to get there. I I didn't understand the question. I was like, it's because we never think of just the way it was worded. I was like, sorry. No, it's not you. It's fine. Yeah, and it's also the fact we always assume people are campaigning for themselves. Yeah, modern politics. Love it. So Burr gets the um, a lot of the Republican Democratic Republicans into office and gives his party control of the legislature of New York, which is awesome because for the Electoral College, the legislature picks who gets to vote, and that won Jefferson and Burr presidency and vice presidency. So this ultimately is one of the defining wedges between the two at the time. Between which two? Burr and Hamilton, sorry. Are you just distracted by my unicorn horn? I'm not going to lie. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is where we get a lot of the modern political campaigning, and we could thank Burr for that. So I can thank him during election season every time my phone won't stop ringing and I can't watch TV because Ohio is the fucking epicenter of it, and it's God. If you live in a swing state, I sympathize it's, with you. It's not great. It's horrible. Um, because Burr enlisted help from members of Tammany Hall to win voting to win uh, voting selections for the Electoral College, and he basically started what we think of modern campaigning: go to door to door, have like um, rallies, and all of this. Before they'd have rallies, but they weren't like as common. There was a powerful faction fighting against the election of Burr. And this was mainly due to Alexander Hamilton. And now I'm singing in my fucking head. I know. It's, it's been all night. <laughs> Shit, okay. So, all night. This is your fault. You're welcome. And this kind of comes from mudslinging against the candidates, um, really hitting Burr pretty hard. And you see people in the public just going, basically almost fighting to say which candidate is qualified enough to lead the country. Okay, this is going to get really weirdly political and specific. So it's kind of hard not to when you're talking about these people, though. I know. So Van Ness and Burr 
created plans to turn the election in their favor. And James Cheaton, a supporter of Clinton, who was governor of New York for a while, had a plan to discredit Burr. So Cheaton re- releases uh, Van Ness's letter, which um, kind of shows Burr basically campaigning and trying to get the votes. The one, the letter where they're laying out the scheme for... Yes. Okay. So you see Burr showing interest in certain Federalists. He knew he could switch, flip. Um, so Cheatham and DeWitt Clinton accused Burr of tamper, tampering, quote, tampering with New York's electors, accusing Jefferson of buying off wavering Republicans to ensure his election, actively intriguing with Federalists to capture the chief majesty in 1408. So first of all, I love that they called the president the chief majesty. I feel like that's going to make a comeback if a certain person ever hears it. We're just he doesn't listen to, to us, so we're fine. Oh, no. I just meant, like, if perchance he picks up a book from then. It's a real long shot. But. I don't think he can read. <laughs> Thanks, Samantha B. So, how do they fight this? By writing letters and publishing them, of course. So, Cheatham and the Clitonians publish a series of letters in The American Citizen, which I kind of love this idea of just writing these letters, trash-talking people. Because it's so much more fun um, than just screaming at them on cable television. Sort of the grand tradition of the time. Yeah. Um, So these were supposed to expose the conspiracy of Burr, Van Ness, Ogden, and Livingston. Uh, This actually persuades many Republicans against Burr, but his hardcore supporters are like, nah. Um, Sounds familiar. So the key to the details to take down Burr was with Livingston and... Cheatham keeps pushing him. He's like, he's like, tell us the details. Tell us the details. I'm making a fighting motion because that's what I'm assuming is happening. It was very convincing. I thought you were in need of assistance. So Livingston, however, would not give in. And Cheatham goes, I got one last play to, like, one last card to play. And he sends him letters explaining that he already knows the contents of this letter with Van Ness, basically the one that lays everything down and goes, threatening, we stand sorry threatening quote we stand upon the best ground we know mr burr is guilty you have in fact and may i say it in express terms committed his guilt to me so basically it's like we already know all this stuff we already know he's guilty you might as well tell me and save yourself solid mind game right there yeah doing good but livingston's resistance to succumb to cheatham basically is what saved burr temporarily from this exposure and the historian Baker said Byrd dragged out this uncertainty of the 1800 election to manipulate it to its will. So basically, he wants the political instability so he can triumph. And we know he does. So, yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense. If everything is in chaos, there's more free actors that you can influence one way or another. Yeah. So chaos does wonder. Sense. Yeah. So, confirmation of Jefferson's election. And confirmation of Burr as vice president. Um, the problem is Burr is never completely trusted by Jefferson. And I don't blame Jefferson at any point for this. I mean, back in that day, how could you ever trust your vice president? Like, you know they wanted your job. You know they're next in line for your job if something should happen to you. Yeah. Or if you should get kicked out. Like, wh- why would they be loyal to you? Especially There's- because Burr campaigned so hard and... right. He he knows all this shady stuff that Burr did. Why would I wouldn't trust him? No, Burr is one of those figures like you don't trust him, but you kind of understand where he's coming from. He's had to fight for everything. 
Right. And he keeps fucking it up on himself, so. Right, as I say, like, he wouldn't have had to fight so hard if it weren't for his own stupid actions. But, yeah, live and learn. So, since he's shut out of party matters, he goes, does work in the Senate as vice president. And everyone says he's pretty even-handed in fairness. He's really great as president of the Senate, and he fosters some time-honored traditions for the office. He presides over the impeachment trial of Justice Samuel Chase, which has really helped preserving judicial um, independence that was established by Marbury v. Madison in 1803. So judicial review, which who knows how long that's going to (laughs) last. It's on its last leg. And I like this quote about him, his conduct in the proceedings with the impartiality of an angel, but with the rigor of a devil, end quote. It's a great Poetic. I I know. So as the 1804 election comes up, Burr basically knows Jefferson's not going to keep him on as vice president. So he ran for the governor of New York instead, which seems fair. And he loses the election to Morgan Lewis, who no one knows um and it was the largest margin loss in new york history up to that time so solid yeah he really believes his loss is based on a schmear campaign um schmear or smear smear okay i was making sure you were still alive i yes i enjoy that thank you um a smear campaign which he really points at his party rivals, which includes New York Governor George Clinton and Alexander Hamilton, because Hamilton believes that Burr had kind of entertained this idea of a federalist succession movement in New York. And this is, we're getting to the part, you know, from the musical where they're exchanging letters. A. Burr. A. Fun fact, I signed an email to one of my professors as A. Burke, and she was like, I love this email. (laughs) Also, and then she answered my questions. But yeah. So then from then on, um, Corinne and I signed everything to her. I have the honor to be your obedient servant, comma, A.Burke or C.Fax. Because <laughs> we're nerds. Nerd. <laughs> um, in April, uh, the Albany Register published a letter from Dr. Charles D. Cooper um, to Philip Schuyler, which showed that Hamilton's judgment Burr was a, quote, dangerous man and one who ought not be trusted with the reins of government, end quote, and claiming to know of, quote, a still more despicable opinion which General Hamilton has expressed of Mr. Burr, end quote. Okay. Um, in June, Burr sent this letter to Hamilton. Like, he's like, did you actually say this, bitch? That's a direct quote. He was like, bitch, you talking shit? Gonna need someone to hold my books. <laughs> yes. So Hamilton responds back like, uh, wait, what, what specifically of this letter do you not understand about my remarks? Not Cooper's, not what Cooper wrote, what I said. And he, he like, I can't tell you how, why Cooper interpreted my words these way, this way. So they keep going letters back and forth. Whereas like, Hamilton, you need to fucking apologize to me. And he was like, and, no, no. Well, He's saying, he's like, you need to apologize for anything you've said over the past 15 years. Anything that could hurt his honor over the past 15 years. How could, how the fuck would you remember any of that? I um, don't remember shit that I said last week on a recorded episode of this podcast, let alone 15 <laughs> years ago. 
So that's a little unreasonable. My opinion. Yeah, I only remember because I edited it. So <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, so Hamilton at this point had already been disgraced by the Ma- Mariah Reynolds adultery scandal, and he was like, "I need to watch my own reputation and my own like honor." I'm not going to do this. So historian Thomas Fleming says Burr would have immediately published an apology uh, and Hamilton's basically his remaining power from the New York Federalist Party would have been almost gone. So instead, because he didn't get this apology for 15 years worth of tarnishment on his honor, Burr is like, duel it now, let's go. And I should say, Dueling was actually so common, it's illegal in most places, or, like, they have very heavy um, punishments because it's kind of a senseless killing. It's an honor killing, and if you know anything about honor killing, it can tend to continue with death or injury. Think of Hatfields and McCoys. But at this time, for sentiment of honor, it wasn't uncommon. So, and actually like this, there's a formalized rules for dueling known as the Code Duello. Or... If you're a nerd, the Ten Dual Commandments. Oh, God. Now that one's stuck in my head. Thanks. Um, however, because they're in New York, and guess what? Dueling's been outlawed in New York. What happens if you get convicted of dueling, Ashley? What do you think? Nothing good, which is why they always went to that hill in New Jersey. Yeah, it's death. Logical. <laughs> hey, did it get people to stop dueling in New York? No. <laughs> yes, Not they just really. went to New Jersey. Not really. So... It's illegal in New Jersey, but the consequences are less severe than death. So on July 11th, 1804, let's set the scene. There's singing going on. You're sitting, you're sat in the theater watching Lin-Manuel and Leslie Odom. You're just counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And crying. <laughs> they meet outside of Weehawken, New Jersey, at the same spot where Hamilton's oldest son died in a duel three years before bawling my eyes out at that point by the way yeah so both men men <laughs> so both men fired and hamilton was mortally wounded by a shot just above the hip it pierced his liver and spine which doesn't sound good sounds unpleasant at best yeah uncomfortable um i think you need your spine so i mean you Our- argue it's a prereq for doing most things Our congress think. doesn't have them so who knows? <laughs> Hamilton then goes to Manhattan, where he lays in a house of his friend and uh, gets treatment. He gets baptized, and he dies the following day. Burr was charged with several crimes, um, including murder in New York and New Jersey, but was never tried in either jurisdiction. What does he do? He flees to South Carolina, where it's his to, to his daughter's house. Um, the problem is he's still technically vice president. Which no one seems to address that a vice president shot someone and almost, and like killed someone. Dick Cheney did shoot someone. He did. But no, I definitely remember in my history textbooks that like Jefferson's vice president was super fond of dueling and it was a problem to the point where he had to like leave New York where the presidency was at that point and like lay low for a little bit. So I do remember that being in my. It might have been AP history textbook, but it was there. I probably knew the person who wrote your AP US history textbook. For high school, probably, yeah. Because I know he wrote mine and I didn't find out till after. I don't even that's remember another story. where that one, what, which publisher that was. Probably McGraw Hill. So if maybe. it's the same one I had, I, yeah, now I'm sad. Okay. Um, so he just avoided being in New Jersey or New York for a time. 
which New Jersey, that's not that hard. So um, until all the charges were eventually dropped. For New Jersey, the indictment was thrown out on the basis, though, Hamilton was shot in New Jersey. He died in New York. So technically, he wasn't killed in New Jersey. Um, so at the end of his term in 1805, Burr heads to what is then the western frontier in the west area of the Allegheny Mountains down the Ohio River Valley and trying to reach the Louisiana Purchase. He had at least uh, 40,000 acres of land known as Bestrop Track along, oh God, along the Oachita River in what is now Louisiana from the Spanish government. This is where we're going to the better. This is like the crazier part of his life rather than him dueling with Hamilton. So he's getting support for himself as he travels to his plot of land. And he sees that there's a possibility of war with Spain, between Spain and the U.S. Uh, and he gets support from this guy called Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, who said, I'll help you, Burr. If there's a war, we'll be together. He sounds like someone who should later leave the country. So um, he continues on with 80 men mo- with modest arms for hunting and continues to continues on even when Lenesseret Island was seized by the Ohio militia. So there's like some, there's something going on with Burr's track to Louisiana, the Louisiana Purchase. Um, his conspiracy, there's air quotes around it, um, <laughs> as he said it was always that he planned to settle there with a large group of armed farmers, uh, and if war broke out, he would have an army to protect his land and himself and keeping his fortune together. You know, with their pitchforks, quote, quote. <laughs> and so one of the gentlemen with them had a near incident with the Spanish forces at Natchitoches. Uh, this gentleman called Wilkinson decided he could best serve conflicting interests by betraying Burr's plans to President Jefferson and to his Spanish paymasters. So no one really knows what's going on at this point. Burr just has an order for his arrest by President Jefferson, declaring him as, as a traitor before any, for any reason. Which I bet just broke poor Jefferson's heart to write. Must have been oh, so hard for him. So hard. Mm. Um, so Burr finds out and in 1807, because now he has federal agents on his trail, and twice Burr turned himself into federal authorities, but two judge- judges found his actions legal and released him. But that doesn't stop people who want the money for catching Burr. So he flees toward towards Spanish Florida. Because, yes, Florida is not part of the America yet. Um, however, Burr was intercepted at Wakefield in the Mississippi Territory, which is this area is now in Alabama, in February 19th, 1807. And he was confined in Fort Stoddart because he was arrested on the charges of treason. So... Why was Burr getting arrested for treason, you ask? His secret correspondence with Anthony Mary and the Marquis of Casa Rural and the British and Spanish ministers at Washington revealed this. He was trying to secure money and to conceal, conceal his true designs, which was to help Mexico overthrow the Spanish power in the Southwest. And he intended to found a dynasty in the former Mexican territory. It's a lofty ambition, sir. So basically, the man that everyone right now knows 
for the fact that he shot Alexander Hamilton, actually tried to found an empire in the middle of the North American continent. As one does, you know. He literally got away with murder. He was like, nah, they can't touch me now. (laughs) Can't touch me. (laughs) So what he was tried on was a misdemeanor based on the Neutrality Act of 1794. But Jefferson... Dear Jefferson, sought the highest charges against Burr, you know, in between doing horrible, horrible things. One day I'll have one of my professors on who really hates Jefferson. (laughs) She's great. She's terrifying, but great. Um, So Burr is brought to trial in 1807 for treason in front of the United States Circuit Court at Richmond, Virginia. He had been arraigned four times for treason before a grand jury indicted him. And remember, Jefferson has a hard-on for him, so it wouldn't be a literal hard on um oh yeah jefferson fucking loved taking people down the only physical evidence that they had to present to this grand jury was wilkinson's so-called letter i love the sass so-called letter from burr which proposed the ideal idea of stealing land in the louisiana purchase they discovered during the examination that the letter was written in wilkinson's own handwriting so Their only piece of evidence is a forgery and a fake. Which Wilkinson's response was, I made a copy because I lost the original. So basically, the grand jury throws out the letter and Wilkinson becomes a laughing stock for the rest of the proceedings. So we get to the point of the trial, which is presided over by Chief Justice of the United States, so Supreme Court Justice John Marshall. The fact that it's gone this high up just shows how, like, Jefferson just has the biggest heart on to get him convicted. In Article 3 of Section Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution requires that treason either be admitted in open court or proven by an overt act witnessed by two people. So Burr is acquitted despite Jefferson throwing everything for his administration at him. I'm pretty sure he probably threw his own desk at him. Just like, get acquitted. Don't get acquitted. Chucking things. Jefferson tried again on a misdemeanor charge and Burr was again acquitted. You don't have evidence of this? I think it's probably, my thought is it probably true, but he never got that far. Trying to get support and funds and he didn't have it yet. So his friend acted too soon. So his historians, Nancy... Eiselberg and Andrew Burstein wrote that Burr was not guilty of treason, nor was he ever convicted because there was no evidence, not one credible piece of testimony, and the star witness for the prosecution had to admit that he had doctored a letter implicating Burr. So basically, we don't, like, we don't have any exact proof of it, but it seems like if you connect the dots, it looks like it was going that way in hindsight. It's the simplest conclusion. So, after all of his trials, Burr has no hopes of a political comeback, I wonder why, and he fled America and his creditors to go to Europe. And I'm thinking, trials are expensive. No wonder why he had a lot of creditors. So, Hamilton's physician and friend, and Burr's friend, Dr. David Hossack, loaned Burr the money for the passage, and he lived in self-imposed exile from 1808 to 1812, hanging out in England, you know, where the exiles go. Burr also spends time in Scotland, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, and France. Um, and he still is trying to get his dream of a conquest for Mexico, but keeps getting told no. He really wants Mexico. And he was told to get the fuck out of England, direct quote. And Bonaparte was like, 
hell no, you can't come here. But one of Bonaparte's uh, ministers held an interview concerning Burr's goal for Spanish Florida or the British possessions in the Caribbean. Burr sneaks back into America using the surname Edwards for a while to hide from creditors. This dude is fucking broke. He gets help from his old friends Samuel Swartwort and Matthew L. Davis. One dude with a really weird name, one dude with a really plain name, and Burr goes back to New York to resume his law practice. I'm sure everything's fine. It's still waiting for him. It's cool. So he starts working. He helps the heirs of the Eden family with a financial lawsuit, and he, in the early 1820s, kind of becomes a surrogate family, the Edens, to Burr. He lives out his remain the remainder of his life in New York in pretty quiet peace until 1833 when he gets married again. At the age of 77, he gets a married... He gets a married... He gets a married! <laughs> July 1st, 1833, at 77, Burr married Eliza Humel, a wealthy widow who is 19 years younger. She was 58, and he's probably broke again, so he needed a wife, a rich wife. So... They lived together briefly at her residence, which she had gotten from her first husband in the Washington Washington Heights neighborhood in Manhattan, a.k.a. Lynn manuels other place. Um, soon after the marriage, she, was, she realized that all her money was going away because of Burr's land speculation losses. So she separated from Burr after four months of marriage. Because she realized this bitch doesn't know how to deal with his finances. So guess who she chose for her divorce divorce lawyer? Alexander Hamilton Jr. So, and the divorce was completed September 14th, 1836, which happens to be the day of his death. He's so dramatic throughout his whole life. It just, because he suffered a stroke in 1834, which rendered him immobile. And he died on Staten Island in the village of Port Richmond in a boarding house that would be known as the St. James Hotel. And he was buried near his father in Princeton, New Jersey. So he got divorced the same day he died. Which is funny and depressing. I mean, so now when you hear Hamilton as you listen to the musical for the billionth time, you can now understand a little bit why Burr felt he had to prove himself constantly and know that he kind of made his own bed, kind of antagonized people, wasn't an overall horrible person until he tried to take over Mexico. He's just a standard politician, and remember, he was orphaned twice by the time he was, like, five, so. So, yeah, that's it. That's Aaron Burr. I hope you've learned something. Um, and this week, our, uh, promo is from Nature vs. Narcissism, which, another Ohio podcast! So, Heather takes on right now they're doing a uh, kind of an alphabetized murder list and they're asking the questions like is it nature narcissism is it nurture or is it something else and it's really funny um they have lots of fun mini shows they take on different cases it's really good i suggest you listen i like to listen to it while i work out and then just laugh and almost fall off my elliptical Hey guys, I'm Heather. And I'm Rochelle. And, and we're, we're from, from Nature vs. Narcissism, Narcissism. A true crime podcast mixed with some dark humor. Sometimes we have alcohol. Sometimes we have guests. Since I've always been fascinated by true crime, I wanted to delve deeper into the criminal mind and discuss why these criminals commit these vile acts. Was it nature? Was it nurture? Or was it just plain old narcissism? 
Join us every week for a brand new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and Podbean. Don't, Don't call, call the, the cops. cops. Bye. Bye. So remember, after you finish up with this podcast, go listen to Nature versus Narcissism. And we thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, first of all, how are you listening to this? Second of all, uh, yeah, let us know because we want you to listen on your preferred app, not your second-rate app. Um, And we'll try to fix it. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe uh, on, on iTunes or whatever listening apparatus you use. Or tell all your friends. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to get the episode tip-off, recipe of the week, additional information about the week's topics. If you'd like to suggest a recipe or a topic or a quote, email us at domesticpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And we're on YouTube now, too, so check us out there.